Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I have one goal today. I'm just going to come out and say it. Everybody who's listening to this talk is going to want to leave feeling convinced, inspired, and equipped to put into practice one new discipline in their life. It's not that hard, but I think it's going to have a profound transformative impact on your thought life. Does that sound like a worthy goal? Are you willing to be convinced? Great, then we've got all we need. So um, let me just sort of bring you up to speed, um, give you a quick recap of the last couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, uh, Pete Gregg shared uh, our vision for the year ahead as a church family. Uh, vision Sunday is always an exciting time as a church, the, the sort of uh, end of a prayerful process where we try and seek the Lord's vision as a family together for the year ahead. And we looked at the story in Numbers 13 where Moses sends uh, 12 men into the land of Canaan to report back to him. And 10 of them are intimidated by what they see there, including giants who make them feel like grasshoppers. And uh, 10 of them are intimidated, but two of them, Caleb and Joshua, are not intimidated. And they come back and they say, we can certainly do it. Last week, Adam expanded on this wonderfully, giving us a really helpful framework for staring down the giants in the land. He said, uh, the word of God, the works of God, and the wonder of God is our framework. By the works of God, he meant that um, when we look at what God has done in history and in our own lives, we're reminded that he is trustworthy and faithful to us and that we can uh, be assured that he will be with us. By the wonder of God, Adam meant, um, you know, comprehending the magnitude of God's creation in order to bring perspective to our lives and to our circumstances. It was so helpful, but I was so struck by the section that Adam did on the word of God, and I know some of you were as well, because we've spoken about it uh, this week, um, talking about meditating on scripture as kind of a bedrock of your life, and there was so much in it, so I just want to give you a quick refresher on one of the key things he said. Whatever demands our attention possesses our thoughts. Whatever possesses our thoughts anchors our heart. Whatever anchors our heart becomes what we worship. You become what you think about. Where are you paying your attention? So good. And so all I want to do today is to kind of take that for a walk, drill deeply into it. What is actually going on in your mind as you go about your life? What possesses your thoughts? How intentional are you about what your attention is being given to every day? If what Adam said is true, then what we allow our minds to dwell upon is literally one of the most important things about our lives because it determines who we are becoming. Romans 8, 6 puts it like this, a verse I'm sure you'll have heard. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What we set our minds on is quite literally the difference between life and death. What are you setting your mind on? By mind, I mean the things that we think about, the things that we are conscious of, what we dwell upon, whether intentionally or unintentionally, where our thoughts wander to. 
the storages and the images and the ideas that we let in and that we allow to inform our lives and shape our beliefs. The ideas about God, about ourselves and about others that we entertain. Are they leading us towards life or towards death? I want to share with you a brilliant little phrase from Dallas Willard. I got a lot of comments last last time I spoke. I, I publicly disagreed with Dallas Willard um, about how to approach the Beatitudes, and it kept me awake quite a few nights, I'll be honest. I'm very loyal to my heroes, and I assure you he is one of my heroes. But this is a brilliant little phrase. He has, we live at the mercy of our ideas. I say that to myself multiple times a day, sometimes because I find it to be such a helpful thing to have before me. We live at the mercy of our ideas. It's a different way of saying Romans 8, 6. The thoughts that we have hold an incredible degree of control over our lives. So we must learn to have good thoughts and good ideas. Now, by ideas, I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to have like cheese on my baked beans later. I mean like the, the, the meta ideas, right? The big picture things that we allow in and that we let shape things. But it can be difficult to have good thoughts and good ideas because there are a lot of ideas out there in the world. Some of them are great, but many of them are opposed to the ways of God and it can be really difficult to discern which are which sometimes. Um, again, Adam shared this last week, but the, the amount of information and stimulus that we now put our brains through is just like it's, it's increased exponentially in recent decades and it's infinitely higher than it would have been a couple hundred years ago. Our brains are just simply not built to process the amount of information and input that we expose them to. And bad ideas have been around for a very, very long time. If you read about many of the ancient empires in the world, you'll, you'll find that out quite quickly. But it's no coincidence, coincidence sorry, that the sort of proliferation of devices and social media in the past 10 years or so has also coincided with a massive uptick in all kinds of issues that we are experiencing as a society and on an individual level, uh, an uptick in anxiety and depression and all manner of other things. And particularly among our young people, just to sort of hone it in on one group for a second, if an adult's fully developed brain can't handle the amount of stimulation that we're talking about now, it doesn't sort of take much to see how drastic an effect this could have on the developing brain of a child or an adolescent. And I read a study this week that now says they are openly affirming this reality themselves. Um, this study asked questions of young people in different countries around the world about their engagement with social media, drew the following conclusions. Now listen to these. It was a very nuanced, really in-depth thing, but these were the sort of high-level conclusions. It is hard to find anyone in Gen Z who thinks their generation is doing well overall. Almost no one in Gen Z is mounting a strong defense of social media, and they are feeling increasingly resentful that they are the first generation who grew up in the world of smartphones. The kids are not all right, was the tagline at the end. That's just one generation, and, I, and this stuff does affect all of us, but I think it's particularly sharp among younger people. Now, this is not a talk about the dangers of social media and sort of me telling you to put your phone down a bit more or sort of vague things like that. But suffice to say, in terms of sort of exposure to information and all kinds of ideas and like overstimulation of our brains, things are already 
pretty bad, right? It's a noisy, chaotic world. Um, not to be like a harbinger of doom, but things are about to get much worse with the advent of artificial intelligence. I'm getting a few glares from our friends that work for Google and Microsoft, etc. Now, there will be some massive benefits to that, but there will also be some really significant downsides. And again, we're not going to go into that, but all of that to say, I've painted a pretty dire picture. This stuff is not going to go away. We're not suddenly going to live in a really peaceful, quiet world where we have lots of time to process our thoughts properly. We're just exposed to so much information. And within a year from now, by the time you can say the phrase artificial intelligence, you won't be able to tell what is actually true and false anymore. Okay, it's going to affect absolutely everything. So whichever way you come at this, there's a lot of chaos and a lot of bad ideas out there. The good news, here we go, is that we have agency here. We actually have the power to select what we let our minds dwell upon. It's one of the primary freedoms that we can have as humans, or it would be if we put our devices down a bit more. We can learn to identify the things that we just shouldn't allow into our minds and choose the ones that we do allow into our minds. Controlling our inputs is the phrase that I'm using for this. And this is crucial because not only can we therefore start to limit the amount of like overstimulation and bad ideas that we let in, we can also start to find what are the really truly good ones. Because good ideas, good thoughts, good inputs, can transform our minds. Thoughtfully created music and poetry and pictures and all kinds of things like that, they can actually channel our thoughts towards God and they can stir us, they can calm us, they can challenge us, they can reassure us, they can take us to the very depths of who we are and they can lift us to the very heights as well. They can nourish us emotionally and intellectually. Can I share with you one of my good inputs? Okay. okay. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life or my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief, I come into the presence of still water. I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and I'm free. That's a poem called The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. That's a good input in my life. Whenever I'm feeling the first thing that he says in that poem, I go outside, I get some fresh air and I just speak that poem to myself and I can feel myself calming down. So if you're feeling unsettled about something, do you think it's good to reach for the remote or to find a really healthy input like that that can help you? Um, not to sort of poo-poo on someone's favorite movie, but we all know when you watch like a movie and you're just like, oh, whatever, that was kind of a waste of time or you, you had a bit of a laugh and you forget about it versus when you watch a movie that has like a genuinely deep impact on you. Has anyone experienced that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like watching the Shawshank Redemption is very different from watching Dumb and Dumber. And again, this, <laughs> which, which is very funny to be fair. Um, 
So we all know that this is true, like there's good stuff out there, that it's, it's worthy of our time in a way that other stuff just isn't. Now, I'm not going to list all of the sort of what I perceive to be the bad inputs and the things on Netflix that you shouldn't watch versus all of the good things, because it's going to be slightly different for all of us, and that would be a bit of a waste of time. But instead, against this backdrop of chaos and noise and this question around your inputs and what are you giving your attention to, I'm going to prescribe just one really specific activity that I think will have a transformative impact on your thought life. Do you want to know what it is? Drum roll. Memorizing scripture. But don't take my word for it. Back to my bestie, Dallas. Check this out. This is, this is an amazing passage. The most obvious thing we can do, this is on the subject of transforming your mind, the most obvious thing we can do is to memorize and turn over in our minds key portions of Scripture. This is the primary discipline for the thought life. He goes on to say, and not just odd verses, but longer passages. We need to know them like the back of our hand. And if you think this is impossible for you, think again. You can remember all sorts of things, and you can remember Scripture too. As you do, your mind will be filled with light and your life will be reoriented around God because you are choosing to focus on him and are spending effort on this permanently worthwhile activity. Wow. That's from Renovation of the Heart, if you want to dig deeper into that. Now, I'd love to be wrong, but I suspect for almost all of us, memorizing portions of scripture and particularly long portions is not something that we make a habit of. And as Dallas said, it's not because our memory is necessarily the problem. How many of us can remember the name of every player on our favorite football team? I'm trying to sort of be relevant. I don't like football at all, but I think other people do. So that was just an example. Sorry, Ian, I've just seen Ian at the back there. Uh, Or the the stuff that we're passionate about, the hobbies that we're we're into, the things that we spend time on that we love, those tend to be the things we can can retain, like a huge amount of information if we want to. For many of us with our jobs, we probably hold an incredible amount of information just in our mind because we use it every day. So our memory, for most of us, is not going to be the issue here. So why, why is memorizing scripture, therefore, not something that we practice widely? Well, my guess is this. You have this book called the Bible. It's all in there, right? Why, why do I need to memorize it? I can just look it up. It's, it's kind of, you should, check, you should get one, Peter. Like, you can just carry it around with you and have it all before you. So why bother memorizing it? So we maybe don't understand the unique difference that memorizing versus just reading it makes. And secondly, if we do understand that, we're maybe put off by the effort of memorizing it. We don't see the payoff as being worth the effort. So my job right now is to try and change that and convince you that it is worth it. Now, scripture on the whole is a pretty daunting task. Like, you want me to memorize the Bible from start to finish? I'm going to hone right in on one book of the Bible that I think is the best place for you to start. It's the book of Psalms. I think that memorizing Psalms will have just an unbelievable impact on your thought life as you go about your day. And here's a few reasons. When we memorize Psalms, we are drinking from a very deep well. The Psalms are the prayer book of God's people, and they have been for millennia. In many ways, they're like the heartbeat of Scripture. 
Jesus knew Psalms by heart and quoted from them. They're actually the most quoted part of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Our faith from ancient times, from its earliest days, is completely saturated with the Psalms in a way that almost no other part of Scripture is. Whenever we engage with them, we are therefore drinking from a very deep well indeed. And the Psalms are unique in the Bible, almost. There's obviously lots of other areas of speech in the Bible, but the Psalms are the one book. Are they from God to us, or are they from us to God, right? They're the other way around. They're humans expressing things to God, so they're, they're quite unique in that manner. And they cover the full range of the human experience. Eugene Peterson put it like this. They cover our hurts, our hallelujahs, and even our hates. Nothing is off limit in the Psalms. Stuffy old religion and a dusty old book, this is not. Like the Psalms, just they go through absolutely everything you can imagine. They're quite staggering when you take them seriously. And one thing that's beautiful about doing this, about going deeper in the Psalms, is that it gives us a shared language with those who have gone before us, this language that is actually part of our inheritance as Christians. And a shared language is more important now than ever before. Again, not to sort of go back to the same thing, but the, the sort of um, social media, one of the big downsides of that is that it's increasing sort of the way that we're being factioned. You know, we're sort of coming into like little different clubs and we're losing a shared sense of history and story and narrative together. So as Christians, I think it's more important than ever that we cling on to what our shared language is. And all language is, of course, limited when it comes to speaking about God but there is something about the particular metaphors and motifs of the Psalms that have resonated with God's people through the centuries. We can, of course, just make up our own prayers. There's nothing wrong with spontaneous prayer. That's actually the predominant style of prayer within our stream of the church. You just sort of, dear God, and you just kind of, you, you make it up, you, you, you go jazz, right? You just kind of improvise it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, of course, good and healthy. But have we also lost something in not knowing how to pray set prayers? Is there something more mature and deep about being able to do set prayers as well as spontaneous prayers in your life? When you want to praise God for something, you can just say, oh, thank you that you're so good. Or you could join in with a chorus of saints through the centuries and say something like, the Lord is my rock. He is upright and there is no unrighteousness in him. Okay, it's a totally different way of saying it. It's deep, it's beautiful. Thinking of the saints that have gone before us that have benefited from the Psalms, um, there's a particular episode of a podcast that is another one of my good inputs. And it's an interview with Eugene Peterson about an hour and a half long when he was 83 years old, just not long before he passed away. And it's the most beautiful um, episode and I listen to it every couple of months. It's one of my sort of guiding things that I have. And uh, the, the interviewer is brilliant. And, and at one point she asked him about his own prayer life and particularly with the Psalms. And um, he shared that he, uh, for years and years and years, the first thing he did in the morning was wake up and pray through a Psalm. And the way he had done this is that he had picked seven Psalms that he felt sort of covered the waterfront, to use his language, longer ones, and he had committed them to memory. And so he had one for each day of the week. So Sunday was Psalm 92, which is a song for the Sabbath. And so he would get up, he would have a cup of coffee and he would sit for about an hour and he would just chew through the psalm and he would allow it to lead him where the Lord was speaking to him and taking him that day. So he would pray through the psalms and that was a very deep part of his own spiritual development. 
This is the same Eugene Peterson that said, if we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity and to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. So when we memorize them, we are drinking from a very deep well indeed. The second reason that I think memorizing Psalms is really beneficial informing your mind is that when you memorize them, you, you actually deepen your prayer life. Now, I've tried um, praying through the Psalms in a month, which is quite a common practice throughout church history. There's 150 Psalms. There's usually about 30 days in the month. Psalm 119 messes things up a little bit because it's so darn long. But you, you pray about five Psalms a day, and therefore you get through the whole Psalter in a month. That's quite a, has anyone done that? That's quite a common feature. Um, that's, you know, for example, in the Book of Common Prayer, that's one of the elements of it. Now, the trouble is to do that properly and to actually get any benefit from it would take like hours per day, particularly when you get into the Psalms that are in the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s. Man, those things are long. And so it ended up for me becoming something that I was just kind of rushing through in order to just like, you know, check the mental tick box, like done it today, rather than actually getting any benefit from it. And so I'm actually not sure that's the best way to do it. Oop, dis disagreed with something that's sort of established tradition. Um, and here's why. The Psalms are poetry, and poetry is not like other language. Uh, oh, change the page. Um, poetry is not like other language. You cannot speed read through a poem. Well, you can, but it's just a complete waste of time. A poem demands that you slow down, like the one I read earlier, right? You, you go through it slowly. You don't rush it. You're not scanning it for information. You're reading it to be changed and to be formed. When you read a poem, you enter a different space. You're breathing, your mind, everything has to slow down. It activates a different part of our imagination and our mind. And the Psalms are poems, first and foremost. So you must learn how to read poetry in order to actually understand and benefit from the Psalms. And poems are sort of, when you read them aloud, that's really when they're at their best. And memorizing Psalms, which we're gonna talk about the process of how you actually do this towards the end, but one of the ways you have to do it is you have to speak them out loud. And that's really interesting because speaking and listening is very different from just reading internally, like we're so used to doing. And of course, that's how Christians for most of history would have heard scripture is orally, right? Because most people couldn't read or Bibles weren't available, etc. And so this stuff would have been heard by people. So it does something very different and it connects us with our ancient roots in that way. Um, and I love reading, if that isn't obvious, um, having known me, um, however long you've known me. But something about speaking and hearing the Psalms over the past couple of years has really been important for me. You internalize things in a totally different way when you hear them and you speak them with your mouth than when you just sort of, you know, when you're sitting reading, it's just this very sort of internal, quiet exercise. I have no idea about the sort of neurology or whatever aspect of this, but someone can enlighten me afterwards as to why speaking and hearing do things differently than just reading it. And so when you've memorized Psalms, you can then be driving or running or um, doing whatever you're doing with no screen near you, no book near you, and you have these things before you and you can speak them out. Now, how does this actually deepen your prayer life? 
Well, first of all, you have these set prayers of the people of God that are with you at all times. And so your prayer life isn't going to be as blown about by your emotions and how your day is going. You have these more concrete things that you can stand upon and pray through. So I want this to be really practical. Should I pray, show you how I would pray through a bit of a psalm? <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, let me take a few verses from Psalm 127. So unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. That's just three verses from Psalm 127. So I would slowly recite that to myself. I usually do this in the shower, if that's not too personal. Good way to start the day. Strong coffee, praying the Psalms in the shower. That's how I do life. Um, I'm aware that some of these words are particularly difficult in Northern Irish, like shar and psalms and stuff. The, the psalms. Um, <laughs> if you need a laugh, just do the accent thing. It always works. Um, so I would therefore pray that, like, unless the Lord builds a house, Lord, I desire to build my life and my family and my household with you. I pray that you would be at every decision, at the center of every decision that we make. Lord, where I have been running on my own steam and trying to manufacture success out of my own abilities, I pray that you would challenge me, you would slow me down to look at what you're doing. Where I have been eating the bread of anxious toil. Do you get the idea? So you sort of, you have this thing, you chew through it, and then you just pull out sort of select phrases. And every time, therefore, you pray through it, it will be slightly different. You use it as this springboard into a set prayer with God. So memorizing Psalms, means you drink from a deep well, you uh, deepen your prayer life. When we memorize Psalms then, the final one I want to share with you, we will be ready for battle. And this is where it gets even more personal for me, um, because having Psalms at my recall has been really important in my own life. Um, at the start of 2018, so in 2017, I'd sort of been getting more and more interested in this, and I'd memorized sort of a handful of Psalms. And I'm one of those New Year's resolutions people. I love to just set the bar like just ridiculously high for myself. And then you get to the end of January and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm a failure. Um, so at the start of 2018, I made a, a, a resolution, right? I'm going to memorize a psalm a week, which is <laughs> very ambitious, um, especially when you get, because there's not that many really short ones that you have to start, you know, anyway. Um, so I did it, I was doing it, and so by the end of January, I had probably between what I'd done the year before and then the first four weeks of the year, I had about 10, 11 psalms committed to memory. I was just finding it so helpful. Um, and that coincided at the end of that January with uh, Andrea and I had our 20-week scan with uh, Willow, right, who you've probably seen dancing around in a, I think a ladybird dress today at the front, who is almost five years old. And some of you who have been here long enough will remember this, all of this happening. But we had our 20-week scan, and we were just so excited. Our first pregnancy, we both wanted to be parents our whole lives. And um, so the sonographer was, was doing their thing, and it was all sort of fine, and we're just feeling the happy excitement. And then she started getting quiet, and um, I mean, I could, I'll, I'll cut a long story short, but she started to say, hey, look, I'm just, I'm not seeing something that I want to see. There's actually a consultant in today. Uh, do you mind just waiting, and you might as well see, see the consultant today. So he said, great, and obviously we're already going like, okay, what's, what's happening? 
And um, we ended up waiting for several hours in, in the Royal Surrey, which felt like an eternity. And we called our parents who were praying for us. And um, already I started like chewing through a few, a few psalms to kind of keep my, my nerves at bay. And we're like, I'm sure it's fine that, you know, they just wanted to get it checked out. Anyway, we get led into this little dark room, sat by ourselves for a few minutes. And then this um, consultant comes in who, frankly, was... Uh, quite cold, didn't really talk to us, just straight down to business, started scanning Andrea's tummy, we're holding hands, and just her whole manner just put us totally, you know, we, we were not in a <laughs> feeling great at that point. And um, I, I remember this so vividly as I was sitting there looking at the, the scans, and obviously I have no idea what I'm, I'm looking for, but just seeing my baby holding Andrea's hand, starting to sense like something is up here, I was just going like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not one, you know, I, I started reciting Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me, I will fear no evil, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my, I just started going through it over and over again, and because uh, in those moments, right, you've, you've probably all had moments in life like that where something traumatic is happening, and you lose all sense of, of equilibrium, right, you don't, you just start to spiral, right, and so for me, these became this, like, uh, compass. They became this way of just keeping my, 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 myself focused. And uh, we, we received a pretty devastating diagnosis that day. And she talked about termination. She talked about quality of life. She started throwing all of these terms around in a very sort of flippant manner. And it was just, I mean, it was, we then went through about two months of um, getting sort of in utero MRIs up in St. George's. You know, I just remember car journeys up there in sort of February, March, just rainy weather, just uh, Andrea and I just sort of crying and praying the whole way because we really, at that point, we we were preparing ourselves for the worst. Um, and it was a really, really difficult time and many of you prayed for us and we're eternally grateful for that. Um, but the Psalms were just so crucial in those couple of months. I would have days where I was sitting, uh, working in our offices, which used to be in uh, Allen House grounds, and I would be sitting there working and I would it would just come over me, right? And I couldn't, and I would have to go outside for air and walk around. I would sit in Holy Trinity at the top of the high street and I would just pray through these Psalms. And looking back, it is such a mercy that the Lord, for whatever reason, popped the idea of memorizing Psalms into my head four weeks before all of this happened. It was a complete and utter game changer. And it was still a difficult time, but I had something really solid to stand on. I wasn't left to just blow about in my own prayers, I had these things to cling on to. And even psalms that sort of wouldn't make sense in that you, you think a lament psalm or a, you know, crying out to God, even like Psalm 24, which is a victorious, you know, fling wide the gates, that psalm was really important for me because it starts with like, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and he has established it upon the rivers. And it just reminded, it gave me such a sense of the magnitude and the glory of God is like, I can trust you. Like, you've got us. No matter what happens, you've got us. So even psalms that sort of wouldn't obviously be connected to what you're going through can make a huge, huge difference. Now, our story has a happy ending. Willow is almost five, and she has no symptoms of the neurological condition that they diagnosed us with. We eventually saw a sort of top consultant at St. George's who gave us a more specific diagnosis, and he was much, much kinder and more reassuring in how he delivered it. And uh, so things eased off a little bit after that sort of six or eight week period, but it was such an intense time of anxiety of not knowing what your life looks up like beyond whatever our due date was in June that year. The work of prayer 
is to bring these two realities together, the boldness of the Psalms and the extremity of our experience. That's Walter Brueggemann. We will all face hard things and we have no way of knowing uh, when they will come. So having memorized some of these most special prayers, which have buoyed Christians through difficult things throughout the centuries, and they buoyed me through that particular time, it might just make a massive difference for you when you need it the most. Have I convinced you yet that you should memorize some Psalms? Good, because the next part would be completely pointless if you weren't willing to learn how to do it. Now, I want this to be really practical because otherwise you'll just walk out and kind of go, I don't really know how to do that. I've never memorized something more than two verses in my life. So I'm going to give you some really practical tips. Sound good? Get your your notepad out, slash, obviously, your smartphone because who carries a notepad? Start small with a psalm that is five to six verses long. Okay, so don't start off really ambitiously. Start small. Some I would suggest are, of course, Psalm 1, the very first one. Psalm 8. Psalm 23 is a great one. Psalm 100. Find one of those ones that's five or six verses long, one that you maybe already know. Most of us know Psalm 23 to some extent already, so that's a good one to start with. So it makes sense, you know, once you've memorized one and you can successfully recite it to yourself and you start to see the impact, it'll give you confidence for the next stage. So start small. Experiment to find the best method for you. We all learn a little bit differently. Um, And as I alluded to earlier, just reading it, sort of internalizing it, it might work for you. That doesn't really work for me when it comes to I actually want to memorize something. So I listen to it. And so I've got an app called Dwell, where you can repeat, you can loop sections of scripture and you can choose from about 15 or 20 different voices and you can even choose like the type of music that you want in the background. One of them is rain, it's lovely. Um, and so I'll put, you know, whatever psalm it is that I want to memorize, I'll just put it on repeat and you can slow the voice down and you can just really slowly listen to it. So I'll do that in the car. That's a really helpful way for me to memorize it. Then for me, the ultimate test, if I know it or not, is I sit and I write it out. And there's something about the act of writing it that just reinforces the pathways and gets it really in there. So experiment to find the best method for you. And it might be a combination of all those things. And that's good. Next one, always memorize from the same translation. Uh, (laughs) In this way, you know, there's these repeated motifs throughout the Psalms. So, for example, the Lord is my rock is a a really obvious one. If you memorize a Psalm from the NIV, it might be slightly different in, you know, obviously the King James will be different, the ESV or whatever, NLT, whatever you use will be different. So, therefore, it makes sense for whatever translation that you love, memorize from the same one every time because you'll start to notice these pathways and the style of translation and language will be more similar. Now, my favorite with the Psalms is the ESV. I think the ESV captures the poetic beauty of the King James Version in slightly more modern language. I think the NIV isn't as beautiful when it translates poetry in the Psalms. So the ESV is my favorite one, if that's helpful. Buy a good book on praying the Psalms. I've got two that I will suggest to you. And the reason for doing this, again, this is not primarily a theological or sort of intellectual exercise. This is about shaping your heart and your mind in your daily walk with the Lord. So we're not buying these books for extra information. We're buying them to just get a glimpse behind the curtain, right, from people who really know what they're talking about. And so two books that are really important for me in this, Answering God, 
the Psalms as Tools for Prayer by Eugene Peterson. And it's really short, really practical, really, really helpful. And Praying the Psalms by Walter Brueggemann. Engaging the Scripture in the Life of the Spirit. Again, short, both really short books, both really practical, and they just give you this extra sense. So for example, one of the things that could help you there is if you know just a little bit more about Hebrew poetry, it helps you memorize it. So roses are red, violets are blue, etc. This is not that. It doesn't rhyme. That's not the kind of poetry that it is. What it does do often is have this device called parallelism. And so the lines balance each other right. And as soon as you know that, it's helpful when it comes to memorizing it. So often the second line of a couplet will just be restating the first thing in a slightly different way. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Okay, it's like two halves of the same thing. Um, so to parallelism, like little, little tidbits like that can be incredibly helpful and you start to recognize these things. And so you would never stop your memorizing for the day halfway through a couplet, get the whole thing in there. So start small, experiment to find the best method for you. Uh, always memorize from the same translation, buy a good book on praying the Psalms and then work up to memorizing a longer one. Now I'm no expert on this. I think I've got up to like a 15, 16 verse one before, and that was quite a challenge. Um, but once you really get it in there, it stays in there and it begins to shape you and form you. And it does, the longer ones give you, as Eugene Peterson wisely sort of figured out for himself, they give you a little bit more to get your teeth into, a little bit longer to sit and pray through. Uh, and finally, I have a bonus tip. Would you like the bonus tip? Um, I'm trying to be really practical today. Um, there's a, a husband and wife uh, music duo. They go by the name of Per Bishop Hooper. Um, and they started this project called Every Sam, the Every Sam Project. I think it's, it's up here. So if you go to everysam.com or you just search Per Bishop Hooper on your streaming service, you will find, and so basically over the course of three years, I think it was once a week, they released uh, a recording of a Sam. And it's incredible. They're really, there's loads of different kind of genres weaved in through it. They did it at home with their kids running around. It's a little rough around the edges. It's not like this sort of super sheeny pop music or anything. It's very raw and very real. And they don't sing through systematically like every line of every psalm, but they kind of pick out the main things and they repeat them. So if you have memorized Psalm 127, sticking their song of Psalm 127 on in the car is a really great way of, of reinforcing it and hearing it again. So that's a, a fun little bonus tip for you. Has that been helpful? Yes. Praying the Psalms, I really, really um, would encourage you to, to like think seriously about, you know, this week. And, and, and it's not, this is not like, doesn't have to be some life-changing thing for the rest of your days that you're going to memorize all 150 Psalms. That would be quite a challenge. But even if every person in this room had three, five, seven, ten Psalms at their instant recall, in their mind, in their heart, I really think it would make a big, big difference in your life, in your formation. So therefore, I, I submit that to you to consider. Um, it would be appropriate to finish by reciting a psalm together, wouldn't it? Why don't we stand together and do this? This is Psalm 121, and let's not rush through this. We'll read it slowly together. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my... 
slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. This time forth and forevermore. Amen. We're going to close the service there.